are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. The Parable of the Sower Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around Him was so large that He got into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Thanks, Aaron, for reading. Well, from our earliest days here at the Y Church, we've had this pattern of asking a table question. So we, as you see, don't sit in rows of seats and pews, but we have these tables where we've used the table question as a chance to enjoy conversation with each other, to get our kids off to kids' ministry, and to refill your coffee. And I do have to say, we have a new insight from the tech team now with the live stream, and that is they have noted that when the table question happens, the Wi-Fi usage spikes. So apparently it's also a good time to check your phone, (laughs) which was not the intent. But whatever the case, our table question has been a time to get ready for God's Word and its preaching. And so today, with the parable of the sower, we asked... If you're at a farmer's market, what's one of your favorite things to buy? And I have to confess myself answering this question that I usually gravitate toward the things that have nothing to do with farmers or their fields. So you would find me at the caramel corn booth or the lemonade slushies or down in Elk River. They have those great snow cones with very unnatural coloring soaked over the top. But a farmer's market or a farm stand 
is a great place to be, to actually eat from the fields and the gardens, to buy from a local farmer or artisan, to enjoy a sunny day. We'll have one again tomorrow, it looks like. And to enjoy the company of others. So certainly in Jesus' time, as he is speaking and telling this story, he's describing a very familiar scene as he spoke of a farmer in Galilee. We're making our way this summer season through the Gospel of Mark, meeting here each week at the farm stand of God's Word, asking that the Lord would nourish us and feed us. And I wonder as we begin and take up Scripture this morning, who here is maybe feeling depleted as you arrive this morning? Who here has questions about faith and truth? And I wonder who here is maybe in need of a fresh word from God, something that would awaken your heart and would rouse you from the tired routines of the day. All of these things and more we find in Jesus. We find them in his person and his teaching. And so today we open our Bibles and we come expectantly at what the Lord will have for us. On a weekend that marks the unofficial beginning of summer here in the upper Midwest, we find Jesus teaching at the lake. Here he is at the lake to meet us, and we're greeting those on the live stream who are watching from the lake. In the story, it's the same lake where earlier he had called some fishermen to come and follow him. It is the same lake where next week when we come back, the lake will be rather unruly. The lake that Jesus will speak to, to calm the waves. But as we are in the text today, the water is still calm, and there we find Jesus teaching at the shoreline. And yet, even though the water is calm, the shoreline, it says, certainly is not. There is just a hubbub of people there now that Jesus has reached celebrity status. And everyone and their mother has come to hear him speak and point out that the crowd around him is pressing in and it's getting harder and harder to manage them. And so what does Jesus do? It's really a rather ingenious move. He borrows a boat, pushes it out into the water, and has made for himself a sort of floating pulpit. And you know the effectiveness of this if you've ever been on or near the lake when it's really quiet and the water is calm. I mean, you can hear the neighbors on the other side of the lake talking around the campfire. The acoustics are incredible as the sound carries across the water. And that's what Jesus is doing. The shoreline is packed with people, and now he's out on the water, turned around, speaking to them. And verse 2 says, He taught them many things by parables. So parables are this unique teaching method of Jesus where he tells stories, he draws comparisons, and he teaches by allegory. And this parable today is considered the key to understanding all the other parables. And that's something we see Jesus indicate in what Aaron read for us in verse 13. He says to his disciples, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And so today what we're looking at is, in a sense, the parable of parables. And we're going to see what makes it so important. It begins by Jesus saying, listen. And can you just put yourself on the beach and hear that word coming across the water? He says, listen. Jesus is in the boat. And he says, akuo is the word. Listen. 
or hear. That's where we get our word acoustic. And this is one of the key words in this whole passage. It'll come up eight times in the text, nine times if we were reading the Greek original. And that tells us how critical it is to the message that Jesus is giving. And so he begins the parable and he says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now this was a common, common sight in first century Israel. Something everyone there on the beach would instantly be able to relate to. We're in a world now where we're used to the grocery store and shopping carts and now even Instacart delivered to your front door, but not for them. They lived in a time and place where everyone lived off the land. The peasant farmer, outworking his plot of ground, sowing the seed, would have been as common for them as you and I seeing the parking lot at Cub or Coburn's. Their world revolved around agriculture And it was really only the very rich who would have been unaffected by a poor harvest. And so I want you to picture with me what for us is a little bit more foreign. Jesus is describing a first century farmer with a bag of seed slung around his neck. In the story, we think it's probably wheat, it may have been barley. And he would walk along his field and he would dip his hand into the bag And he would scatter the seed across his field. That's what we're picturing. And in the parable, there's four kinds of places that the seed lands. First, some falls on the path at the edge of the field. Some of you know that my wife Esther is from rural, rural Germany, with an emphasis. And this is actually a picture from the fields that surround her family's village. On the right side of the picture, what do you see there? You see the path that the farmers use with their tractors to drive between their fields. They call it a Feldweg, a field path. And this is where some of the seed lands in the story on that hard ground, and the birds find it there and gobble it up. Second, some of the seed we see falls on rocky places. And that is really common in this part of the world. In Galilee, they have these layers of rock that would sit just under the topsoil. So you couldn't even necessarily see it with the eye, but it would be a layer of rock underneath. The seed would land there, it would germinate and grow, but it didn't have any depth of soil to set its roots in. And so as the summer heat would come, the plants that were growing there would wither and die. Third, some of the seed fell on soil where thorns or weeds were growing. So the wheat and the weeds would then be competing for the soil. And you know how that battle goes. The weeds will always win out. And then that brings us to the fourth landing spot. Jesus says some of the seed fell on good soil. And it grew to produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 fold. And then Jesus closes the parable by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And there's that key word again, hear, akuo, hear. And we hear Jesus' voice across the water. Now in the text, we then arrive at this difficult interlude in the middle of the passage between the telling of the parable that we just reviewed and then its explanation. And this little scene happened sometime later. It seems to have been later that same day. 
that Jesus is asked a question by his 12 disciples and then the others too who are following him. And it says in verse 10 that they asked him about the parables, plural. And so what they're wondering is, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables to begin with? You know, why don't just say what you mean and get to the point? And he says to them in verse 11, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Now this could sound like Jesus is, I don't know how you describe it, playing favorites maybe. It could sound that way. And we're asking ourselves, maybe reading this middle portion, what does he mean that some are in and some are out? And I want to remind us of a couple weeks back in chapter 3, that scene we read about where Jesus' family comes to take charge of him. Do you remember this? Because he's, they say he's out of his mind. He's, he's gone bananas. Jesus is teaching in that scene in a crowded house, and someone says then to him as his family arrives, Jesus, your family is outside looking for you. And Jesus looks around that crowded living room, and what does he say? He says, my family. Well, here are my mother and my brothers. That's what he says. So what does it mean to be in or out? Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's an open invitation. It's not exclusive. Everybody's invited. But not everybody will listen. Some will just arrive on the beach and they'll hear a story and then go back to their ordinary life. But others will respond And they will seek Jesus out and they will want to know more. And that is what he's inviting us to. But then the passage gets even trickier, doesn't it? We read, But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And then he quotes from Isaiah. That's what this little indented part is. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. It's tricky, isn't it? And you might wonder, does that say what I think it says? Is Jesus purposely keeping people from understanding him so that they won't be forgiven? And one of the many things that speaks for the historical accuracy of the Gospels is that you have passages just like this where Jesus says some pretty uncomfortable things. Because if this was written 200, 300 years after Jesus, and somebody is trying to write up this fanciful, fictional story about the Son of God that you should believe in, they would have never put in embarrassing details like this. They would want a nice, neat package where Jesus only shows up and says rosy, inspiring things. But we're not reading some made-up version of history. We have four eyewitness accounts. There were others that were discarded. But we have four true eyewitness accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they report exactly what Jesus said and did. And this particular spot we read today is one of the hardest passages in the New Testament. 
It is debated up, down, and sideways. We would be here till noon if we looked at all the different interpretations going on in this text. I'm just going to mention a couple to you briefly for how to understand this. First, the word that's used for so that, in Greek it's hinna at the beginning of the verse. That can mean either purpose or result. So in English, when we hear so that, our minds go right away to purpose. That's how we use it. That would mean this is why Jesus taught in parables, so that people would not understand. That was the purpose. But in Greek, it can indicate just as easily the result of his teaching in parables, meaning that this is what happened. So you get the difference? Purpose would be causation, but if he's describing the result, then it's simply an explanation. The second possibility, and the one that seems favored by the NIV, there's many good translations out there. The one we study here is the NIV. It seems to be favored by it, and that is that Jesus is actually speaking with irony. Irony is notoriously difficult to communicate in writing. In fact, you can see in this translation, they're trying to communicate that by using the exclamation point. You see that at the end of the sentence? The translators put that in there. And I wonder how many of us can relate to this. You've been in an email thread or a text conversation, and somebody is using irony or sarcasm, but you didn't know to understand it that way. You ever had that happen? And why is that? It's because irony is so dependent on hearing the tone of someone's voice or how they gesture or seeing the twinkle in their eye as they say it. It's hard to communicate in writing. But let me read this passage if it were said with irony. They may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding because the last thing they want is to turn and have their sins forgiven Some scholars point out the irony in the original. So Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, and they say, yes, God commands Isaiah to preach to people whose hearts will only grow harder and who will not listen. They see the same dynamic here as Jesus quotes it. There are some who will listen and who will lean in, and there are others who will refuse no matter what Jesus says. So a couple ideas. Whatever the exact nature of this verse, there is a larger point that should not be missed, and that is the farmer who's out there generously sowing the seed, and that farmer is a picture of Jesus. Let's go to the explanation now. Verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Jesus now explaining the parable. Do you remember how Jesus started his ministry back in chapter 1? It said he went out into Galilee proclaiming the good news. And he would say, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. That is the word that he's preaching, bringing the kingdom, casting the seed as he travels about. And a little while later, Jesus is off praying with his disciples and they come and find him and they say, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Jesus, this is great. You're famous. The people love you. And what does Jesus say? He says, you know, let's go somewhere else so I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He's come to scatter seed. 
and to scatter it generously and to reach every corner of his field. He's even scattering seed, we see as the story progresses, where the religious leaders have said not to. He scatters it so generously, he scatters it out among the sick who are said to be cursed. He scatters it among the leprous and the demon-possessed. The tax collectors and the sinners, Jesus travels about and he's casting seed and he's preaching the word. And now we have the explanation of the four different places that the seed will land. He says, some people are like seed that falls on the path. No sooner has it landed and Satan is there to snatch it up. And we must remember, my brothers and sisters, that there is spiritual warfare involved in sharing the word of Jesus. It is no neutral thing to speak of his gospel. And though Satan has been bound by the coming of Jesus, remember that passage, the strong man being bound? He is still a danger to those who would hear indifferently. So as Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Secondly, it says some people are like the seed that falls on rocky places. There's enough soil there to get something started. And they hear the word of God with joy, but it's short-lived. It's just a flash in the pan. As soon as it heats up, as soon as trouble or persecution comes because of God's word, there's no root to survive. When trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away, Jesus says. Our Christian family in other parts of the world know this temptation better than we do. Who of us would be at church today if we knew that some government agency was actually out in the parking lot noting our license plate numbers while we are here in worship. At the end of June, we're going to have a chance to meet an organization called Reed Ministries that serves and equips the church in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, probably a part of the world that many of us don't know a whole lot about. Places where the church was squelched by communism under Soviet regime and where Christian leaders were silenced. And yet even as we think about people far away, let's not leave this warning too far removed from our own lives. I wonder, are our students prepared to face opposition at their college campuses because they believe in the words of the Bible? Are we as adults able to graciously but firmly stand for Christ at the places we work? The world's changing. And in a place where trouble or persecution for following Jesus once may have seemed unlikely, we had better think again. And yet perhaps the most relatable is the third place where the seed lands, and that's the seed among thorns. The problem with this soil isn't that the seed won't grow, it's that it'll grow with divided loyalties. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. Who here is not touched by these three things, if not all of them at once? Worry, We could do a show of hands. We won't, but 
Who here is not worried about something in your life right now? Worry can overwhelm us. Financial security can seduce us. And materialism, the desire for other things, is a never-ending wish list. Have you ever heard this old saying? Our yearnings always exceed our earnings. Have you found that to be true? It doesn't matter what tax bracket you're in. What income level? It seems like most of us end up bumping our heads on the ceiling and never can quite get everything we wish we could. And for some of us, we have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus didn't come to give us our wish list or ensure our total happiness. No, He came to set sinners free and to bring His kingdom And so Jesus would say things like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You see, Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to give us life. And what does it indicate at the end of the passage? To make us fruitful. That's the fourth kind of soil and the one that is commended to you and I as we close in verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. doesn't matter the amount. They're fruitful. So here, I think, is the point of this whole parable. Listen to Jesus. Receive his word. And your life will bear fruit. That's it. 20 verses in a nutshell. It is that simple and that profound. And I think it may be helpful to put this in some more tangible language. And so if you're hearing this today and you're saying to yourself, yes, I want to bear fruit like this. I want my life to be the kind of soil where the Word of God grows. Then how about this? To listen to Jesus... Read the Gospels. We're studying Mark right now. So start with Mark. Read the book of Mark. If you aren't in the pattern of a little bit each day picking up this book, start in the Gospel of Mark and read the words of Jesus. And as you do, secondly, receive the word, ask the Holy Spirit to help you follow Jesus. Lord, I don't want to just be on the beach, passing by, flipping through pages, putting in time. But would your Holy Spirit teach me to follow Jesus? And then, watch what happens. Watch the growth that will happen in your life. As we close, I want to take us back to this picture of Bergen that we had up during the baptism. This is Bergen in her garden. As her grandma indicated during baptism, she loves to grow flowers. She is like a dictionary of flowers. In fact, she sells fresh-cut bouquets at her family's farm stand. She has an incredible eye for how to arrange them. But you know what stands out most to me when I look at this picture? You know what really caught my attention this week? I see a girl 
whose ear is listening. Do you see it? A girl whose hands are in the soil and whose life will blossom because she is tending to the word of Jesus. And may that be a picture of you and me as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that you have sown the seed of your word for us. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us to listen. To really, truly listen. And to receive it in a way that no trouble or persecution on earth could ever overthrow. And no worry or possession could ever overwhelm. Lord, may our lives be a receptive soil to you. That we would bear fruit that lasts and bring you praise. Pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.